Hey, here we are, episode six, R&D Sessions, Masashi R&D Sessions, very special episode, probably our favourite episode to date, not that we've done that many, but... Um, Super special guest today. I know, one of Australia's best ever soccer players, current Socceroos goalkeeper, currently playing for Brighton in the English Premier League, renowned as being one of the hardest workers in the game, um, and a bit of a soccer icon, or football icon, Matty Ryan, welcome mate. Thanks, mate. It's nice to see you getting down with the lingo as well, football I, and all that. I know. So what, what is it? Is it soccer or football? And I'll probably get grilled by all the football fans <laughs> for calling it soccer, but here in Australia, it's yeah, well, soccer. Yeah, the, the, government, the governing body here now is called Football Federation Australia. So, all right. But yeah, obviously the public out there, you know, with the football coach they've grown up with, the rugby league and all that, you know, like to stick to it, calling it soccer. But, but, uh, well, you're part of the Socceroos team, so it's pretty hard when the yeah. Socceroos team are calling it soccer as well. Yeah, can, can we call it footy? Oh. Oh, is that too far? <laughs> no, we'll call it football. We'll keep it. We'll keep it authentic and genuine. You are over here in Australia because of the suspension of the English Premier League. Um, how did that come about? Like, where were you when you found out that the season was going to be sort of suspended? Uh-huh. Were you at home or training, or how did they break it to you? Yeah, just at home. Uh, it's pretty well documented that there were meetings going on once it hit. Um, you know, we were due to play Arsenal in in a game. Uh, I forget what, obviously what round it was, but just one of the, the games throughout the league. And uh, news broke the day before the game or two days before uh, that the coach from Arsenal had actually picked up the virus. And uh, yeah, so they had to postpone that match. And then it's just been uh, ongoing from there. Initially, um, they announced a, a, a suspension for only a couple of weeks, hoping that it was not going to be obviously a big pandemic and they could get on top of it. But Obviously, what's happened has happened, and uh, it's just been sort of one sort of uh, postponement uh, at the minute to a, to another. But yeah, just being at home, trying to yeah be safe and keep active, and you know stay sane. All right. What was your initial thoughts? Were you like, oh yes, a bit of a break finally, <laughs> or um, <laughs> did you, did you think were you like over pretty quickly? <laughs> my initial thoughts was because sort of recognizing how it had been, you know going throughout the world in China and in, in Spain and Italy, I was sort of pretty much aware that we're going to have some time off. So my initial thoughts were, oh man, I hope I don't get stuck over here with postponements when football, the only reason that I'm away from my friends and family, you know, is stopped. So I was pretty much on the ball from the get-go, wanted to try to get back to Australia to, to be closer to obviously those who mean most to me. And... Um, that first postponement, uh, they said we weren't allowed to travel back. And if I was able to travel back then, I, w- I could have missed out on doing the quarantine in the hotel. I could have been doing it from my home here yeah. uh, in Australia, which a little bit frustrating. But uh, you know that aside, um, I'm, I'm happy to have been back here now for for a few weeks and enjoying yeah being closer to those. And yeah, it's it's a lot better here the circumstances than back there in England. So. Uh, yeah. So. Good to see the family, catch up with the family again. I want to ask you about time in quarantine, though. We saw you, you putting up some pretty cool workouts inside the <laughs> hotel room. Mate, I don't lock me in a hotel room for two weeks. I'll go crazy. You, you seem to, like, breeze through it. Yeah. What were you doing? What, were you actually allowed to leave the room at all? Nah, so it was basically Fort Knox there with the amount of security. Um, basically got off the – you know, we landed there. Um, the custom officers came on the, the plane – you know, just quick brief saying, you know why you're here, what you've got to do. Got off the plane, got a mask, had to go get our temperature checked by some security there at the, the airport. 
got a, got through customs all that after that i was fine uh got my bags basically waited there till our bus had arrived everyone was waiting about half an hour we got our bags we were ushered out by naval officers army officers police uh everything onto these buses you should to be used to that mate travel around the limousines and <laughs> <laughs> no nah, i never forget where i come from that's Western it, that's Sydney, it, you know? yeah. i'm always taking myself there and that so shout out to western sydney <laughs> yeah. western sydney stand up <laughs> nah, i never forget there so um, like, how was your mental health in there like were there were there days that you were just obviously you can only talk to family and friends so much on the phone and so much FaceTime. Like we did, you have reading material. We how were you? Yeah, occupying some days? some books, obviously TV, TV series. Um, I don't think I even watched a movie when I was in there, to be honest. TV but, um, series. What'd you get into? Yeah, you? I was watching uh, Elite. I don't know if you know it. It's it's on Netflix. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's based in Spain, but like a uh, yeah, bunch of kids at school, and there's been like a death and all these type of things, and you've got to work out who it was, and it all plays out. So it's a bit. Uh, yeah, it keeps the mind ticking over what may happen and whatnot. It keeps you guessing. Uh, and it also was also, you can choose to watch it in Spanish. So, Oh, did you brush went, up on your Spanish? Yeah, so obviously I played in Spain, so yeah. I always like to continue practicing. So it was nice to watch it in Spanish. And well, Darren speaks bit. Spanish. We're going to do the rest of the podcast in <laughs> Spanish. So, uh. <laughs> so you said it doesn't happen so <laughs> close enough so you weren't losing your shit in there too much no nah, like i've read a book recently you know all the rage these days is obviously um staying positive and yeah. you're having the right mental approach and how much more beneficial it can be and i've really tried to focus on training my brain uh in, in order to think that way and live that way and i think that was the trick staying um, productive proactive improvisation getting cre- creative uh, hence some of the workouts and mm. all that type of stuff and yeah check it, out maddie's instagram for some of the workouts that he was doing in there it was yeah. crazy yeah using well, your luggage for weights and yeah well, i demonstrated obviously on you know the masashi takeover yeah. you know so um oh, i was nice to get engaged and i'm all about trying to help everyone improve their quality of lives and being active is one of them so you know, share a couple of workouts on there and get people involved and it made time fly by and I had a nice prize at the end of the day by being back here closer to everyone. So that, that's what helped me through it. What, yeah. what was the name of the book? Uh, the book was um, called The War Doctor. The War Doctor, oh yeah. Have you, sounds intense. Anyone read it? No? Yeah, it sounds good. But yeah, no, we, we talk a bit about, you know, it's not just about your physical diet, sometimes it's about your mental diet, you know, what you take in and that makes a big difference, yeah, your mindset. Uh, definitely, like you said, all the rage is that these days, I mean, it's easier said than done to be remaining positive, you know, with challenges you're facing. But I've found through my own experiences that if, you, you know, if you're able to do so, you know, your life is much more fulfilling. Um, you know, you're probably going to be happier. It's going to be, you know, more joyful. And hopefully that also, you know, adds to being more successful as well. So yeah. I'm really making a conscious effort. And, you know, like any aspect of, of, you know, being an athlete or anything, I really think it's something that you can train. You know, we work on getting stronger, getting quicker, you know, more technical work of positions and all that. And I think, you know, training the brain in the way you want to make it think and the way it should be thinking to keep you in that frame of mind where you're just letting your instincts take over and, you know, you're training, you're training well, playing well, you're not overthinking scenarios, situations, you know, that's in a, in a athletic perspective. And, and then even in a general life perspective, you're going to be enjoying the company of others around you more so rather than focusing and dwelling on perhaps this situation, meaning that, you know, you you lost your job, income, all those types of things. As hard as that is, it's it's you're wasting time doing that. You need to be 
being proactive and thinking, okay, what's ways I can maybe make income or mm. find a solution for this or for that, and, and I'm sure that's going to best serve individuals better and help improve their quality of lives. It's, yeah. it's always something you see with elite level athletes. A lot of them have got this sort of mindset, and that's what sort of separates them from from your hobbyists, like Darren and I. <laughs> um, you guys yeah. are at the have, top have of you game. ever <laughs> have you ever had um, like any exposure to a, like a mental coach or anything throughout your career or? Because yeah, there's I've a lot of athletes getting mental coaches now, and like you said, either self tuition or they've got mm-hmm. an external person helping them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like anyone, I was a bit, I wasn't conscious of the help available in that area and just being unaware of it. And it was funny, it was when I first went to um, uh, Brighton uh, for, you know, to join them in the Premier League, uh, I'd sort of come off a stressful period where I wasn't playing so much. I had a few injuries and. You know, I wasn't. My mind wasn't in the right place, and I sort of recognise that now. Um, you know, just being a bit disappointed by not being able to play, and you know, questioning myself on my ability as to why you know why I wasn't playing, and all these types of things. And it was a former coach of mine when I was playing at the Mariners, Graham Arnold, who's obviously now the Socceroos uh, boss as well. He he watched the game, and um, he gave me a phone call on the way to training one morning and it was funny, he basically nailed where I was at in my head, what I was thinking and doubting myself and all these types of things. And that's something that sets him apart as a manager, you know, something that, you know, he's had great success being a manager, both internationally and and domestically and wherever he's been. And for him to, you know, have followed my career and had known me obviously as a young player coming through the Mariners and just by watching me seeing um, through his own experiences in his own life, perhaps what I was doing that wasn't in allowing me to be performing at my best. And he had, um, in, in all of that, he, he obviously had some tricks up his sleeve and he had a, a guy by the name of Mike Conway and his title, it's really long, but it's something like a mental resilience and emotional coach or something like that. And I basically just had a phone call. Arnie basically said, call him up, have a chat with him, you know, he'll start getting you back in the right direction and all these types of things. And sure enough, I gave him a call and it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that when I spoke to him and what he, the insight he gave me and a few techniques he gave me that I put into practice, things started to take a turn and my performances started to improve. And ever since that moment, really, I've just, I've been quite content with with where my, my brain and my mental side has been at whilst still learning along the way and even fine tuning it to become even better. So me and myself, I've witnessed at first hand the yeah. benefits of it. It's wow. such an important part of any sport, the and mental side of it. And we were talking about this last week, you know, every sport has a different breakdown, I guess, between the three um, elements of, you know, your technical skill, your physical skill and the, the psychological skill that you need. Last week we were talking about jujitsu, which is, you know, heavy, heavily focused on the technical and, you know, of course there's that physical and psychological element. Um, obviously, you know, in football, it's the balance is different. But even at different levels of football, I guess, you know, you're, you're playing at the highest of the highest levels. So that psychological element is obviously such a big part, you know, as the stakes are higher, as the, you know, um, the pressure to perform increases, um, so does the psychological demands. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot of pressure, of, you know, fans, personnel within the club, everyone wanting you to perform and... and and you know do your best and be as successful as you can and and that's the challenge of it and at that at at such a level i've found through my experiences the margin of difference is is so minimal you know so you need to constantly be trying to find ways to get that extra little bit of advantage and i think for myself you know that mental positive mental approach and belief in myself even you know more so Mm. 
um, which obviously is sort of what they recommend you you doing. You know, yeah. to be believing in yourself so much, so much that you're almost invincible. Um, you know, it's hard to obviously get into it. You know, if you haven't, I guess, been briefed on it mm. or in, in certain aspects. But you know, the mainstay of it is obviously yeah, keeping positive and training the ba- the, the brain to you know think the way you you want it to to allow you to to take advantage of all your skills and techniques and physical condition and and all that so. it helps having a good coach that can recognize when players might be doubting themselves or feeling a bit down or off because of injury and like you said um your coach recognize where you're at and i think that's the same like in the nrl and stuff that's why like wayne bennett is so revered as such a good coach he's he's a great player manager mm. not only does he know the game read the game but he he's able to spot when a player's off or do something to build their confidence and it's so important especially as a young player um, that might not know where to go or might not have a sort of a mentor or something like that no definitely um like even this time when i was back here on holiday this time last year i went into an origin camp and yeah uh, i was gonna ask blues. you about the, the yeah. blues yeah yeah how was that were training. It, it was great but who, who brought how did that come about um so basically, I had a, a friend, an old school teacher of mine, uh, Peter Langmack. You might know the yeah, last name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Paul Langmack was Paul, his uncle, yep. obviously the famous footballer, and played for the Bulldogs. Yeah, didn't the, he? Yep. the family and all that. And um, he was my school teacher at school, and just through there, his uh, his auntie Diane Langmack was working with uh, Phil Good at Penrith Panthers and all that, and a number of contacts. And I love my footy. I'm a big Parramatta Eels fan, and. You know, to get into a, an environment like edit, that. Edit that bit out, please. <laughs> if you want, take a look at the table at the minute. I think we're, we're top of the table. So. It's time for a long time. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. But um, oh, just touching on that positive mindset, you know, and, and the mind and everything. I went in there, I was chatting to obviously Freddie himself, and everything was designed about keeping the mind fresh and keeping it, it clear and all that, and the emphasis on how important that it's the most important aspect of all the guys out there, all the players, and they were just obviously getting their work done, but making sure the fun element was there. Um, he had also opened the, the doors to the media each day, not, not um, you know, like uh, just giving players to one certain media each day. He was giving it to access to everyone. So, you know, within that, um, the media having that access, they're not having chips on their shoulders saying that they can't get to this person, that person. They were just writing all positive stuff mm. about all the players because they had that access to them, keeping everyone mentally fresh and all that. And, and that was the focus, basically, of, of the camps and the games when they were there together. Were you there for a training session? Or I was, was there it? for a training session, yeah. So, like, obviously, a lot of players coming together from all different teams. How did that the intensity and the, that camp feel, like, compared to, like, a Socceroos camp, for example? Yeah, there was obviously a, a, like a lot of similarities in the preparation. Um, the guys around there, uh, sports scientists, making sure everyone's getting the like the nutrients and all these types of stuff. And then within that, obviously, you got your tactical work and your technique type of stuff. You sort of structure the sessions to tick off all the boxes in, in those aspects. Um, much the similar in that you you meet in a in a hotel uh, as a base and. You know, you have your team meals together and all that. You, you know, you get your training done and your gym programs and all that done together. So, yeah, there's a lot of um, similarities with the, the structure of it all and how it all works. And obviously the main differences comes within the, the differences of the sports and that. But, yeah, uh, very much a, a lot of uh, similarities. Did they did they bring you in to do a speech or were you just there to hang out for sort of morale? And, like, did you, did you give them a bit of a rev up or what was the go? <laughs> uh, when they introduced me, they just... 
got sort of in the huddle out the middle of the field and um, just uh, were yeah having a little chat, you know, introducing myself and uh, Hayden Knowles, who's the, the trainer out there, was just giving me a little intro and telling him a little bit, but nothing too in-depth. Yeah. And um, it was just mainly, I mean, I thought I was being there just for like a fanboy, you know, just the <laughs> session and all those types of things. But uh, it was nice. He had a few nice words to say and um, and all that. And, you know, I don't know if it helped anyone or not, but uh, it, it was nice to be in and amongst it. Do the Socceroos do that sort of thing as well? Do they bring in people to have a talk? And like, who who's like the highest profile? Who's the, the person that's come in and you've gone, oh, shit. Um, oh, I'm trying to think. I mean, a lot of it is done on videos. You know, oh, when we're it, getting yeah. ready for a big tournament, they'll put a, like a sort of a montage of messages from oh, in the past. You know, George Gregan. Uh, you know, captains of the other. Yeah. You know, like the cricket other teams codes, yeah. and, oh. and all these types of things, and just like, oh well, I didn't even realize they sort of followed the sport a little bit <laughs> and all these types of things. So it's, I know it's a little bit of a reality check and all that, but. Um, but no, it's nice. It was nice to see how yeah the boys get on and yeah, yeah seeing how similar it is and, and whatnot. Yeah, I guess when the World Cup's on, everybody's following it. You know, um, oh, it's huge. There's, there's nothing that comes close anymore. Yeah. Mate, even as a player, like there's nothing that comes close to when a World Cup is on. The like, the games, just the you know the, the hype and you know everything being so amplified. Like pre-match, post-match, everyone's just talking about the upcoming games you're playing against. And you know if you play well in a game like that or get a great result, then Everyone, you know, people still obviously talk about like Tim Cahill's heroics when he's at the World Cup scoring these goals and, yeah. you know, Australia's victories over certain teams and all that. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's great, you know, yeah, yeah. an athlete and, and doing those sorts of things. So. Let's rewind the, cro- the clock a bit. So you're, you're a Western Sydney boy. You grew up Western Sydney. Was, um, was football your first sport that you played, that you had exposure to? Yep. Uh, yep, going out from... I think as soon as I could walk, uh, had had a ball in my hand and and playing. Um, played on the field actually in the beginning, but yeah, just playing with my mates in the streets. But at that stage, I had a variety of sports. You know, I wouldn't say I was totally dominated towards football, but I was playing an array of sports. Just wanted, I just loved, loved being a kid and being outdoors and running around and athletic and sporty. Did, did you start off as a goalie or start off as a striker like every? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Started up front and moved my way back. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> But um, they introduce goalies at what under nines or something now. I think nowadays it is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, they play with the small goals and all that. But yeah. I think it's it's important that age. You know, you get a bit of variety in all the positions and all that, and it's important that kids are just out there having a good time, enjoying. That's yeah. it. It's all about fun at that age, and but I think yeah, they start to sort of figure out where they're best on the field. Anyway, you've got some kids that love being up the back defending goals and goalies, and some that love getting up there at the front scoring. and hogging the ball and scoring. Yeah. But, uh, what so, would you be or what were you? Or? Mate, I would, I'd probably be a goalie too, a really goalie. bad one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I played competitive cricket for a, for a long time. Yeah. Um, played for New South Wales and I was a wicketkeeper. So oh, yeah? Well, sort of similar, nice. reflexes. Yeah, is, yeah. Kind of yeah. hand-eye coordination. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to just rely on my speed. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't all about the skill, but got me out of a few tricky situations. <laughs> to be fair, seeing you on the pitch today a little bit, I can, I can see that, you know. <laughs> is that yeah. saying my, my skills aren't good enough? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Speaking, you, about, you on, foot. speaking about on the pitch today, I've got some video footage of uh, Duran having a crack at goal and Maddie saving it. There's a bit of debate as to whether the ball went in yeah. or not. I'm actually going to get it put up on the podcast and I'll let listeners um, debate whether the ball went in or not. There was no net, so we couldn't see. I'm saying it was a clean save. Oh, yeah. Duran's claiming goal. I think it was a better penalty attempt than Wayne Rooney. So. 
you don't know, Matty Ryan saved a pretty epic goal. Wayne Rooney penalty. When did you gravitate into the goals? How old were you? I was 10 years old. So um, I was basically, my best mate at the time was my next door neighbour. And his father had a bit of background in uh, football also, playing at a bit of a level growing up. So from a, quite a young age, he had uh, three other brothers as well. So he had them going down the park and doing extra training and all that. And um, he was a striker and the other boys uh, were attackers and all that as well. So they were doing drills that he made up for them and they needed a goalkeeper. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I was a bit of a, you know, why not attitude, go down, I'll give things a go. And went down, I used to jump in goal. And um, in that same year, uh, he took his son away from the team we were playing in to start playing a representative team at a higher level. And I just continued playing local park football. And um, halfway through the season, their goalkeeper, their family up and left and moved interstate. And... He come to me and goes, oh, we need a goalkeeper. I've seen you, obviously, you know, when you've been training with my boy, you know, you want to come along. And um, basically I went along to the session and I look back now, it's probably a little bit naive, but the goal, the, the, sorry, the the coach asked me, he goes, oh, where's your, because I only came down with like the warm, like mitten gloves, you know, <laughs> that's all I had. And um, he asked me, and I was like, pretty well, hardcore. <laughs> he goes, where's your goalkeeper gloves? And it was probably naive of me to say, oh, my mum said she'll buy me a pair if I make the team. Oh. So, <laughs> but you know, funnily enough, after oh. that session, he said, "Yep, you're in. You're part of the team." So that was that pivotal moment so in your life, crazy. then, really, that's, when you uh, when that's you look back, started, you, yeah. if your friends didn't ask you to come down and just be the token goalkeeper while they <laughs> practice their striking, yeah, yeah. you might not have been here. Uh, yeah, Australia's number one. Yeah, I know. Eh? It's uh, <laughs> it's funny how obviously journeys play out and whatnot, but that that's where my start mine started with the uh, the goalkeeping. So yeah, what other sports did you play as a kid? Um, the probably the two sports I grew up playing competitively, most competitive was the football and tennis. Mm -hmm. tennis what position were you in footy? Uh, I like to play five eight. Well, you've been a crafty five eight, I reckon. Yeah, Pretty I, elusive. Because obviously I had the the soccer and the footwork and all that. They used to just sort of give me the ball, and I used to do a couple of footwork side steps type of thing and get them out of trouble and, and run the field and score a few tries. So. Big five eight though. How tall uh, are you? Me, I'm six foot now. I were, wasn't, were you tall when you nah, were a kid? Not no? back then. I was a late bloomer, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, people don't see me as being tall as it is as a goalkeeper. It's just lucky, I guess, that you guys are a little bit shorter than <laughs> mm. myself. You know. Well, Hal's but, a late bloomer too. He's only twelve. He's already <laughs> seven foot two. So, <laughs> yeah, he's got some, got some growing to do. Still growing. <laughs> I seen him this morning. I was thinking, Who's this man, baby? You know. So. <laughs> So that was your first sort of uh, foray into like representative football at a local level. How did um, how did you go from that as a youngster to your first was your first break the Mariners? Would you call that your first sort of decent break in footy? Yeah, well, that was my first professional club. Mm. So uh, in terms of wanting to take the step into a professional, you know, first step in my dream of what I wanted to be doing, then yeah, they uh, gave me my first uh, my first chance at that. So how does that scouting process like come about? Like, how did you just get a call one day? Like, hey, yeah, um, move to the Central Coast. Yeah, so basically, I grew up playing my junior football in representative level at Blacktown City. Um, my goalkeeper coach at that time at Blacktown City, ended up being the goalkeeper coach at the Mariners also. And I played one year in the youth team at the Mariners, um, played all my, my juniors growing up, like I said, and got to that age where I could play the youth team, under 20s it was. Played one year there and then um, it just worked out that a position, another goalkeeper took another opportunity at a different club uh, to want to play first team football and 
that opened the door for a position to be available and I got notified that um, they wanted to select me to fulfill that position and then um, a bit like a Stevie Stephen Bradbury uh, ice skating Olympics <laughs> moment um, the, go- the first team goalkeeper that was signed at the time in that pre-season where I had signed wanted to try go overseas and made a move to go overseas so that opened up a door there they signed another experienced uh, goalkeeper that was over in Europe that came back to Australia at that time to play in the third game of the season he'd done his cruciate ligament and funnily enough the goalkeeper that left in the pre-season his deal fell through in Turkey, some discrepancies with the contracts and all that. And it actually, a week before that, had signed at a rival team in here in the A-League, Danny Vukovic, which, and they weren't able to sign anyone else, so they were sort of left with me, had to throw me in the deep end. And How nervous were you, like, oh. first stepping up? Yeah. Were, were you ner- like, were the nerves a thing? Oh, definitely, mate. Um, the, the first game I was playing at, Aussie Stadium, Sydney FC, and that's obviously oh. one of the most renowned stadiums here in Australia. And you know, as a young kid with no experience playing in a professional game, you know, all the TV cameras around and all that, you know, oh god, you know, I'm not. This isn't just being watched by a bunch of people, you know, in a park anymore. All of a sudden, there's twenty thousand, fifteen thousand people here in the stadium watching. Plus, it's on TV. Oh, if I make a mistake, I'm going to look like an idiot. The, and pr- the pressure on a goalie, you know, you know, anybody else makes a mistake, it's like a yeah. goalie makes a mistake, it's a goal. <laughs> which, which is the reason why I've come to love the position. Yeah. Like, mm. It's High one of the pressure. positions in, in sport where your margin for error is so minimal, if any. If, if You know, you could make 10 great saves in a game, you make one mistake and that's what everyone remembers the yeah. game for. So it's almost like a position within the sport whereas you have to play a perfect game in, in order to be considered to have had a good game. And I'm, I'm a perfectionist in a lot of aspects in my life, and I think that stems right up into you know my obviously my my life as as a goalkeeper. So. Yeah. And what about the nerves these days? Do you still get still get nervous before a game? Uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a few little butterflies. Once I sort of get out and do the warm up and all that, I feel like I, I settle. But um, definitely my experiences in my career until now have helped me get to, I guess the the tolerance of them up until this point. But I think it's it's more excitement now, you know. The opportunity to be creating a lifelong memory through being successful, you know, making a save against one of the best players in the world who plays for one of the best teams in the world, where we're playing in one of the best stadiums in the world that I grew up watching as a kid, idolising with my jaw dropped, you know, what what a level, you know. And you face basically, you know, the best of the best right now. I mean, Messi, Rooney, Suarez... Van Persie, like basically, that's like this. Aguero, Mo Salah, like it's it's crazy who you. It sounds surreal, man, but like that's what I'm doing, you know, and and I love it. Like you know, like I said, you know, you touched on earlier today that that penalty save against Wayne Rooney I had, you know, that guy, one of the best players the games ever produced, most prolific scorer, more penalties than almost anybody else. Exactly, and you know, I saved the penalty against him, you know, and that's etched in my memory forever. And I'll be telling people that, you know, grandkids and all that for for the rest of my life. And, and now and you've saved a goal against Dieran. I, I mean, like even debatable. I'm not sure if it's, you know, it's going to be on the same level playing field, you know, it's the story I'll, I'll tell about Rooney. So. We'll check the replay, but... Yeah. So you're, you're at the Mariners for a couple of years and then you get the call up to the Socceroos team. Like, are you at this stage in your career just going, what, like, this is happening quickly? Like, yeah. 
What what age were you at that when you when you got the call up? What was it, 2012 or something? Yeah, so pinching myself. So I think my first Socceroos camp was, yeah, I think my second year in the A-League or something like mm. that. So I must have been, yeah, 19, 20, like that. And uh, when I was first involved, that was another jaw-dropping moment because that's when all the golden generation were still in, like who, the who Harry was, Kills. Was it Schwarzer? Schwarzer in was yeah. in there. Um, you know, all these guys that... I'd grown up idolising, obviously, in the sport that I had the biggest passion for, and all of a sudden I'm sitting opposite them at dinner, eating and all that, and I'm just like... Did you ever... I'm not saying you shouldn't feel... Like, did you ever sit there and think, is this real life doing here? Like, is this... 100%. Like, obviously you earned your position, so I'm not going to say that you didn't, but at some point you get this, like, I don't know what they call it, imposter syndrome or something, where you're sitting there going, what am I doing with all these legends sitting here? Should I be here? But... Obviously, you've gone on to blossom. Your career's killing it. But at that time, 1920, it's a lot to take in at that age. Oh, for sure. That Crazy. Was, that was always running. I'm like, it was disbelief, really, that I was sitting there, you know, um, yeah, with the likes of these guys and that have been playing at the pinnacle of the game and achieved so much, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking, what, you know, is this real? And what, you know, what am I doing here? Type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, you know, some of those lessons that I had in those periods being there with them and seeing how they conduct themselves and all that like I've always been someone to try be attentive and learn things through other people's experiences because that would help me without having to go through that experience myself you know or if you can learn off someone else's mistake or you know someone else's triumph or something like that that's a mistake you know that's a moment you don't have to go through yourself you know in order to have to learn from it so mm. you accelerate your learning a little bit so each generation sort of benefits from that exactly learning so of the past so yeah. was exactly. did you have much exposure to Schwarzer at that point like was he was he mentoring you or helping you or is there or is it just a clean changeover I think um I think his mentoring come oh, like just as a sort of ticking off the box of him just being himself yeah he set such an example. That's what he's been renowned for also. You know, you talk about myself being one of the hardest workers and all that. Mm. You know, you, you looked at him. I mean, look how long his career has gone for. And, you know, the lengths, you know, it's not a coincidence. The lengths that he went to in his professionalism, you know, to keep himself fit, healthy, um, t- to be able to allow himself to play at his highest level until he was 42, 43 once he eventually retired. And that's a lesson I learned firsthand from seeing him, you know, keeping himself in good nick, all the sacrifices he's, he's made. And that's exactly my motivation as well, to go for as long as I can, as well as I can. Um, it's a long time retired from being an athlete, so mm. that's, that's my motivation. And I, I learned a lot of great lessons from, from him um, just being there, whether he w- was conscious of being a mentor or not, he was definitely a mentor in my books. So Yeah, and do you do you still stay in contact with, with any of those guys? Yeah, that, definitely. That, um, that aren't playing anymore? Yeah, Schwartz is uh, working in uh, media over there in England and also here in Australia with Optus Sport and that, so you quite often bump shoulders with them. Timmy Cahill as well has just recently retired, obviously, and he's in the media stuff. And... Um, I don't know if in the quarantine I did that push-up challenge. Yeah, so I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Timmy got involved in that and, yeah. and pulled it off as well, you know. And he's another one that he, he's got an X factor with his. He just he had this knack of producing, you know, at the right time for whatever reason or, or what. It's hard to put your finger on, but he just his production for his national team, for his club, um, Everton and, and Millwall and whoever else he played, whoever else he played for. Uh, he just had this knack to produce on the world stage and 
that's given him the you know the reputation and and all the success he's had in his, his lifetime until now and it's it's nice to still stay in touch with them and try and emulate and even better what what they've done you know because if i'm able to do that i'm going to be looking back on a life that's been amazing yeah it's, it's awesome looking at those players that it's just seem to have this gift like they work hard and they've got the right mental approach and everything but then there's just this extra layer of gift on top. and it's like um we've been watching and talking about the last um the last dance mm-hmm. um chicago bulls chicago yeah. bulls mm-hmm. michael jordan and yeah. that that's the, just watching that at an older age, you just come to appreciate the intensity and just the it factor that going someone on underneath the surface. I know, yeah. like all the odds were stacked against them, and they were just able to pull it out. But yeah, it's it's amazing the mental aspect and watching those truly sort of gifted athletes and what they're able to pull off. Pretty cool. Yeah, really cool. It's, it's always funny. I've always found like the athletes that have always had the more illustrious career or achieved so much more have been the ones that I've seen on a day-to-day basis or it's been widely documented that they've gone the extra length um extra distance to be even more committed extra sacrifices and Mm. it's i don't think you know it's it's not a coincidence like i said you know they can immerse themselves as you know the most that they can in their life to to their craft and their career and these guys are the ones that end up having those there's top career, so I'm, I'm just trying to, yeah. Yeah, it's no accident. No, exactly. That they end so. up succeeding. Well, it's that age-old question of, you know, is it your natural talent or is it your hard work? But, you know, really, it's, it's often a combination of the two. Yeah, but uh, what's the saying? Um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm a big believer of, you know. I think I'd rather much have someone that's working hard, that really wants something, has the drive to be the best that they can be, rather than just someone who's talented and think everything is going to come to them, you know. So I think there's a... A balance, but I learned quite early on growing up in Western Sydney. Um, you know, you don't get anywhere without hard work, and yeah. all my family members we never had the luxury of you know, like money, finances, all these types of stuff. And I learned pretty early on that in order to even just to be able to provide for your families, you know, put food on the table, all those types of things, you got to work hard. And my mum was a single mum, you know, working two to three jobs in order to provide for my sister and I, and. You know, my other family's the same, providing for their family. So I got that lesson, you know, quite early on. And that's definitely, you know, shaped me into the person I I am. And, you know, got to be implementing that approach in the gym, you know, when you wanted to work hard and get stronger and be the best goalkeeper when you, you know, out on the pitch training hard as well. So yeah. taking those life lessons and applying them to everything that you do. Definitely. Yeah. So. And definitely, definitely shows like that hard work ethic as a, as a youngster and not being sort of not growing up with a silver spoon in your mouth. You yeah. can you can see, and usually the elite level athletes that sort of get to that the top level in their in their sport, they're always more more grounded as well mm-hmm. when they're up there. It's like, okay, you're just a normal guy. You're a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. So you're at the Mariners. You got you got the call up there. You've made the Socceroos team. World Cup, 2014. <laughs> Two years later again, yeah. it's just all happening. Like, what? tell us about that World Cup because that the 2014 World Cup, you guys actually did quite well. Yeah, well, um, yeah, obviously it's a matter of opinion. I guess we didn't win a game or nothing like that. Um, Play, but we performance-wise, we played well. Yeah. We we did match it uh, yeah. against some tough teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, you know the. The tougher the challenge, the bit, you know, the better the triumph. The, yeah. So if we were able to obviously beat those quality teams, you know, that it makes it even more better. You know, like winning a game, you know, here in the A League compared to winning a game in the Premier League, just because how tough it is in the Premier League and the, 
you know every that, point counts, that ultimate yeah. you know that, that pinnacle mm. it's so much better in a world cup i mean that was like a it was like a big slap in the face you know like of like I think the realization of just how global the game is, because mm. I'd I'd never witness a playing level to that um, to that level ever in my career. I'd gone from three years in in the A League and one year in Belgium, and with all due respect to the A League and Belgium, they're okay decent leagues or they're okay leagues, but they're not you know leagues like the Premier League or a World Cup or nothing like that. So. I was very naive looking back now on my experience there, and I wasn't I wasn't happy with the way I performed. I, my performances didn't go as I had foreseen them or sort of prepared them to go. I obviously, I wanted to go there and perform well for the country and do the country proud and help us win games and even progress as far as we could. But I think I went in there with the sort of the wrong mental approach. Um, I went in there. You know, thinking that you know, I'm playing the likes of Van Persie, uh, Ian Robin, um, you know, Alexis uh, Sanchez, Sanchez yeah. um, you know, Vidal, these types of players, and thinking, oh man, I'm going to have to become Superman or you know, a superhero to stop the likes of these shots and all that. And I look back now and think that as a, that was a mistake. I think I should have relied more on what I had done to get me there. Mm. You know, I was there for a reason from what I had shown until now. Obviously showing that growth mindset and drive to want to get even better but I was trying to create something in my head that I needed to become which you know a superhero it's it's not obviously it's not logical it yeah. doesn't happen but um, I think if I had more faith in what I had and more belief in myself in what I had I, that I had the right tools to go and stop I think I could have performed much more to the level of how I foresee myself doing it but you're also what 22 at this age or 23 yeah. or something yeah, so it's, that, that. it's like yeah. Well, I was young at the time, so, you know, but, you know, like I said, my motivation is to win. I want to win. I'm a biggest sore loser. And Are you, you know, competitive in all sports? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, not even sports, you know, board games, arguments, <laughs> debates, all these types of stuff, you know, never wanting to be wrong. So, Imagine uh, if, uh, if Hal went to the World Cup, 22 years old, yeah. Australia's goalie. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 22? I thought he was 12. You keep telling me. No, his actual age is 22. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how did the 2014 World Cup differ to 2018? You're settling in a bit more in the next one and feeling a bit more confident? Yeah, just the experience yeah. thing. Um, had a couple more years had learned from my experiences at that World Cup, you know, wanted to implement that moving forward. Um, at that point, are you considered like a senior member of the Socceroos team? By that time, I'd pretty much, I'd notched over 50 games in the, mm. in the national team at that point. So I think, yeah, I'd, in terms of in the squad, I was one with a more, you know, a higher number of games. And also just before that World Cup, I'd, I'd played one full season in the Premier League. Once I had that taste of that first World Cup in Brazil, in order to better equip myself for World Cups moving forward and, and even on a domestic level, my goal was to try and get to a league which emulated or mimicked that of a World Cup. And that was going to be either playing in England, Spain, Italy or, or Germany, in my opinion, are the four probably best leagues football-wise in terms of the, the level of, of play. And that was my motivation from that moment on. And I had one more year in Belgium, in, in Bruges, and I got a move to Valencia in Spain. And I was thinking, you know, this is it. You know, the club being involved in Champions League, you know, qualifications and obviously playing in the La Liga against Barcelona, Real Madrid and Messi, these types of players, you know. Mm. And I knew if I had more experience 
playing at that level, I'd get more accustomed to it, I'd get up to speed, I'd, you know, being um, exposed to that sort of level and learning those types of lessons, you know, I'd, I'd grow and get better so that, you know, in the future I'd be excelling at that level and World Cups would come around and I'd be better. Unfortunately, it didn't quite go out that way. I got a few injuries, a bit of instability in the club. Lots of, I had five different managers in a year and a half. It didn't quite pan out. Um, in saying that, still plenty of lessons to learn from. Mm. And then before that next World Cup, I had one full year in the Premier League as I had changed clubs to Brighton. And that regular football at that level, playing against you know these players that we touched on, these stadiums, these teams and all that, um, and working within that environment, being exposed to the adversity that I'd faced in the level of players coming up against, better equipped me for that World Cup. And I think personally on a personal performance at that World Cup, I, I did a lot better than what I did in the previous World Cup. And, you know, that journey is still going now, That's you it. know, yeah. all the accolades and everything you achieve, it's all great and all that. But whilst I'm still able to, you know, play mentally, physically and all that, there's always the next thing for me that I want to achieve and want to win. and create as many lifelong memories to being successful as I can. And obviously coming up against, you know, the World Cup winners, France, Mbappe, Griezmann, these kind of guys up front. Yeah, I mean. and I don't know how you, I'm guessing you will remember that game quite well. Like, you know, we got beat by a dubious penalty decision with VAR. Could have been and so different. You know, one deflection that was for a reason, the deflections happens like that. I, I don't know, you know, yeah. but it was a real tight game and they ended up being world champions, you it, know, so. It's crazy. You know, we were very much in, in the games we, we played there and we drew, obviously, with Denmark as well and they're top top 15 or 10 team in the world, I think they are. So, you know... Yeah, Christian Eriksen as well. But that just goes to show at that level, you know, the margin for success mm. and that it's so minimal, like different moments in games that make the difference and unfortunately we weren't able to capitalise on the moments to help us to have progressed further. How is that Brazilian crowd? They're ruthless over there. Yeah. Um, they're crazy. They're fanatical about every sport that they're good at. South, South Americans, you know, sport-wise, I don't know if you've seen the footage of, you know, even in Argentina, but yeah, Brazil themselves and football. That, that's also what made the Brazil World Cup so great. Like Brazil is known pretty much as the capital of football. So yeah. to be there and the hype around it and everything, it was, it was just amazing to be a part of. And man, I want to get to as many as I can and enjoy as many as I can. And even win as many World Cup games as I can because they're going to result in more memories that I'm, I'm going to have for the rest of my life. So. That's it. Yeah. So you found a nice little home at Brighton now. You seem to be sort of settled in, playing some great football. Um, yeah. tell, tell us about Brighton. How did, how did that come about as well? And um, tell us about the club. And you seem to really settled in, You're enjoying your time there. Yeah, great club. I love it there. Like I said, you know, ticking that box and playing at the, the pinnacle, the highest level, uh, week in, week out now, which I didn't get in Valencia, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, living my dream at that level, you know, and equipping my skills, taking them to uh, you know, other levels to, to help me, you know, even improve. And, yeah, like I said, create those memories. And it basically come about, you know, my time there in Valencia. Uh, I hadn't played that much and I'd gone on loan um, in, in January for the rest of the season back to Belgium where I played previously, but in a different club. And the idea was just to sort of get some rhythm again after having some injuries and not being in favor with the coaches. I hadn't played a lot. So I'd gone out on loan to, to a club in a bit of a lower a step down, you would say, and got some rhythm again, started playing again with the view of going back to Valencia to hopefully hit the ground running again and play. But um, the way it worked out, the you know Brighton were a team that were keen on me um, before when they were in the division below 
they had almost got promoted a couple of years in a row. And um, a few years before that, a couple of players that were playing in England had come to me and goes, what did you think about this team, Brighton and that? And for me, I, when they weren't in the Premier League, I wasn't so interested. I'd rather be playing in the top league in Belgium rather than in the second division in England. So I sort of just stayed on my path. But, um, but then the goalkeeper coach was a former teammate of my agent. Wow. And I got in contact with him and saying, you know, we're really interested and it was looking like Brighton were going to get promoted. So they started to plant the seed and that there's interest and would you be interested in coming there? And they, you know, just built a new stadium, new training facility, state-of-the-art staff and all this. And the amount of research and homework on the amount of games they had watched me play and uh, all the statistics they were throwing at me. I'm like, man, they've been watching me. Uh, for a while. You know, a bit like Dinam, you know, he knew all Were you working for Brighton at the time? Yeah, yeah. Your knowledge, you know. So. <laughs> same work. But, um, but yeah, and all that, and I'm like, you know, that's someone that, you know, that, that just screamed of something that really wanted me for me, you know, and what yeah. I was. And when obviously someone knows that much about you, you know, they've done their homework on you and makes you feel good, you know, you feel mm. wanted and it all worked out and panned out and that was going to be their first year in the Premier League, you know, the first ever year in the, in the top division in England and they wanted me to be a part of it and it all fell into place, you know. They approached Valencia and said they wanted to put in an offer, wanted to buy me. The next thing I knew is that a transfer fee had been agreed and I was clear to start negotiating personal terms and I was like, okay, well, the, the writing's on the wall, so... You know, if they're happy to let me go, then it probably doesn't say much about my career there. So I want to play first team football. I don't want to sit on the bench. I don't want to not play. And you want to play for someone that wants you as well. Yeah, exactly. It's good, good to know that you're wanted. And then exactly. you go and play every single game of the season. Yeah. Um, and you're having a cracker. And I think there's going to be a few more clubs with their eyes on you at the moment. I'd say. I mean, you know, that, that's a, I guess a benefit if I'm able to sustain my level and keep playing to a level that um, I guess warrants that. But. You know, that's just my focus to try and contribute to the best of my ability to Brighton and, you know, whatever happens and happens. You know, my, my next goal is I want to be playing Champions League, you know, European football together with playing in a league like the English Premier League and that. So I'm doing my best to help Brighton get there. And um, fingers crossed we can make steps towards doing that. But if that not, if that's not going to eventuate, then I don't know if someone else comes along or, or whatnot. But... You know, my, fo my focus is the present and that stuff will, I guess will tick it off uh, or that stuff will happen if, if I deserve it you know so yeah, yeah. Uh, exciting and you know um, you're still pretty young for a goalie goalies keep going until closer to 40 nowadays so still a baby yeah well yeah <laughs> I mean I still feel like you know like coming now you, you know you're getting old when some players that are born in you know the, two, you know, the year 2000 and yeah. that are, are playing these days and I'm like fuck right getting old old now but yeah like you said luckily for a goalkeeper hopefully i still got it over yeah you know 12 years 14 years maybe um i'm basically living my life to to play for as long as i can so yeah well we were talking about it before the podcast the importance of strength and conditioning especially for goalies they've got they do have that opportunity to to play an extended to an extended age um, and you are like known as the the most jackedest and rippedest uh, <laughs> <laughs> football player out there um, if, if, if you don't believe me, go and Google Matty um, <laughs> with his shirt off. It's pretty ripped. Um, so you, you do a fair bit of strength and conditioning. I know we did sort of touch on it outside the podcast here, but training a couple of times a week? Yeah. Yep. Um, obviously got football training, but... Um, How often is football training? Like, are, they, are you there every day? 
generally uh it depends on the structure of a week but at the minute and it depends on the manager as well the coaches they love everyone obviously has their own tweaks on things but generally i'd say it's it's two days off a week um so at the minute in england we play a saturday for example a sunday might be off and then we'll train a monday tuesday have a wednesday off train thursday friday play saturday right or it's uh, a play saturday recovery on on sunday uh monday tuesday off no sorry just monday off mm-hmm. training tuesday wednesday thursday friday so you're doing your own strength and conditioning earlier in the week obviously so you're fresh for the game yep are you working with a strength and conditioning coach or do you do a bit yourself as well on the side Yep, so we are within our clubs we have employed strength and conditioning coaches and we have programs, but um, once again it depends on um, each club is a little bit different with how they structure it all, but at Brighton at the current stage we have our programs that we need to you know tick off and what we do, but on top of that also I like to do you know my own sort of stuff as well to, I don't know, fine tune even a few more other things or maybe gain an advantage somewhere, so I'm always... Uh, yeah, getting in the gym and doing a few extras and if I'm not doing a gym program I'm always in there doing like a, a prehab program or you know a program to warm me up for a training session or something like that mm-hmm. always trying to take advantage of everything I've yeah. got around me to stay um, stay fit injury free and, and and at the top of my game at the end of the day nobody's ever going to lift a weight for you you know so no. you, you got to take control sometimes yeah. and I know we talked about the story about Rooney and Ronaldo before and you know kind of the focusing on technique versus physical conditioning but uh, of course you know you're quite well known for your explosiveness and you know six foot um, it's tall for a normal person but relatively short for a goalie so you know that physicality kind of um, comes into your game quite a lot yeah definitely that was another thing I learned growing up I mean I wasn't getting selected for some sort of representative teams as a young kid because yeah maybe I wasn't good enough or whatever but I think a lot of it was down to my lack of height I mean I'm only six foot like you say and for a goalkeeper that's quite short and I was a late bloomer as well Mm and um but you know i was lucky to have um you know good people around me with the right advice you know telling me to focus on things i can control like my strength and my speed and agility and those types of things athleticism rather than focusing on how tall you're going to grow and all those types of things and you know they were lessons i I learned quite early and you know would you rather be the best now at 15 14 or in five years time when you're 20 and you're a professional and and it's important and it matters you know and you know the likes of my mum and some other yeah, mentors I had around me, coaches and all that. We've, you know, they had the right advice at that time. You know, helped me through those periods, and it's been something that I've obviously had to rely upon. You know, and I'm I'm very open-minded. You know, other goalkeepers or even other people in general with their lives, how they live it. Like I'm very much, you know, open to the fact that the way I live my life, you know, isn't perhaps the same as the way someone else lives it. And that's not meaning that my way is better or his way is better. Yeah. I'm always open and to see if what they do can help benefit my life or you know on the other hand I always give things a go to see if it's better same principle with my football watching other goalkeepers I'm not saying you know my style of goalkeeper is better than Courtois you know with different body shapes you know and you know he's performed and he does what he believes is best for him and gives him the best chance and I try to do what is best for me and I try to watch these guys and see what they do and try certain things and if it benefits me it's great if not you know I've given it a go and and whatnot so um you know in my current 
state obviously i don't have the reach and the height and all that of some other things so i'm working hard on the athleticism and the speed and quickness to move around the goal and be quicker and try and make up in in that department yeah and we kind of touched on that on a few other podcasts you know um there's so many there's more than one route to the top of the mountain you know mm-hmm. and um you know, whether it's fat loss building muscle or your goalkeeping skills you know you've got to find what works for you and um build on that and uh, it looks like exactly. you've been doing a, a pretty good job yeah. do you do you have a specific cause I, I'll refer back to when I was playing cricket and wiki-keeping. We, we had a specific wiki-keeping coach mm-hmm. and a lot of our training took place outside of the rest of the team. Is it the same for a goalie? Like, do you have a specific goalie coach and is a lot of your training sort of separate to the rest of the team? Yep, uh, yep. Every team I've been in, uh, once I got to a professional level, has a full-time goalkeeping coach in it and we're only really required with the team Uh when they're sort of games or stuff or sort of shooting drills. But my general work, I'm, I'm straight out with the goalkeeping coach in the beginning. We're doing a warm up and that. Some days I don't even go across with the team at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, like at a club like us, uh, obviously we have a number of academies at the club, younger keepers. So if the, the team during the week needs a shooting drill and all that, sometimes our goalkeeper coach will send the younger kids over there just because the guys, the strikers need one, someone in goal, it's not really important if it's yep. myself or someone else, you know, in the first team. So they'll do that whilst we can get all our technical work done. Um, and he's got a good gauge on, on um, yeah, structuring all those types of sessions to make sure we all get what we need through a week's work to, to make sure we're ready come game day. So. How do you go like bonding with the rest of the team? If a lot of your training sort of, are you like the, uh, you're not like a punter in the NFL, are you? Are they just like, ah, oh, the punter, not, <laughs> not really part of the team. I'd say it'd be different for a goal. You're cru- crucial part of the team, but do you, do you guys spend a, a fair bit of time together outside of training and stuff? Yeah, we're still rubbing shoulders, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. around the Well, not place. at the moment. No <laughs> rubbing shoulders at the moment. No, nah, no, nah, not at the minute, obviously, <laughs> the social distancing. That's but, um, yeah, figuratively speaking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, we're, we're obviously still around and got a good relationship. But there is such thing in, in, in football known as the goalkeeper's union, whereas, obviously, we've... The few players like to think we're all a bit crazy. You know, everyone thinks you've got to be crazy to be a goalkeeper. And all oh, you that. do. They're, they're known as the serial killers of the game. <laughs> yeah, or well, yeah. See, <laughs> I feel that's a little bit of a misconception, but uh, at the same point, there there are some crazy ones out there. You know, well, who but, would want that pressure? You got to be somewhat crazy to want that pressure. You got to be a little bit crazy when you're jumping for a ball in the corner and Van Dyke standing there in front of you. You know, uh, oh, I can I can see that point of view. I guess yeah, a little bit, but you know, yeah. You know, you look at MMA fighters, you know, they've got to be crazy for wanting to get hit in the face or boxers, you know, and They're all nuts. these types of things. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Rob Whitaker and all these types of guys that are, you know, Animal. I guess they've just got to be better at um, beating someone else rather than getting beat themselves. Well, so. That's it. That's the I, idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, when it, when it comes time to switch on, I think they, you guys, the elite level athletes yeah. all have that ability to just switch on and go for it. Um, what about nutrition? So obviously yeah. we talked about training and you know your physicality, explosiveness, and your skills. Where does nutrition fit into? Yeah, nutrition? you're pretty strict from what we've what we've seen, which is good. Like I said, like we said in previous podcasts, we've dealt with a lot of athletes that don't know a lot about nutrition. Some some do, some are really good, but you are sort of spot on and on point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us a little about your nutrition and maybe what what you eat during the day and what you steer clear from. And yeah, I just think it's sort of a bit of a roll on from. Uh, you know, being attentive, you know, I'm always trying to be knowledgeable and, you know, look after myself and, like I said, prolong my career. That's that's my motivation behind everything and 
I guess even aside from that, you know, there's no better feeling in life being uh, like fit and healthy. You know, I think everyone's life is complement uh, complemented when when you're able to achieve that. And um, nutrition is obviously a major uh, part of that. You know, obviously a little bit like the concept of fueling a car. Um, you know, the, the the type of gasoline that you want to put in it is obviously the premium stuff. And you know, I try to go about the same things. And there's a lot of uh, studies and stuff out there, and you just got to try. You know, I think you've got to be aware of the fact there's perhaps, you know, um, you know, biased education out there. and uh, A lot of bro science. Yeah, yeah. this yeah, type yeah, of stuff, yeah. you know. So, you know, I try to do what I feel is best for myself and how I felt consuming certain things. But, yeah, just a lot of whole grains and, um, you know, quality protein through clean meats. I don't eat a lot of red meat, so a lot of, you know, white meat, chicken protein are probably the ones I go to. And, yeah, the whole grains are like, um, you know, brown rice, quinoa and... You know granola and these types of stuff in the morning and yeah plenty of fruit and veg and, and all those types of stuff so how many like how many meals a day are you aiming for i, I eat three yep i, so, I don't really so just brekkie lunch dinner yeah i don't really snack uh, i sort of got out of the habit of snacking a lot but mm-hmm. if you saw me eat my meals like i eat mountains of plates i'm okay. telling you but so you're getting all, all like, those calories in yeah, three meals yeah yeah but it's all like good good yep. stuff and then obviously on top of that um you know you guys with your masashi products yep. as well you know you're a plant protein guy. You're off dairy. Yeah, yeah that's another another thing. Um, just from what I've sort of researched and read and all that, and consumed myself, I find staying off dairy can can help a little bit. And mm-hmm. they say sort of other cancerous causing things by having it. You know whether it's true or not, I don't know. But that's yeah. a decision, a personal decision that I've made. And yeah, luckily the way the world's going these days, there's always more options. Uh, oh, know, yeah. Catering for vegans and people wanting to go dairy free and all those types of things. And you know, you guys are an example of that as well with. You know the plant proteins that you just provide you got two flavors there and uh it, it's a big help and um you know now obviously even just chatting to you guys haven't been here with you is learning a little bit more about you know the the rapid uh, digestive rate of you know the proteins, proteins that yeah. you guys because it's, it's not been something that i've really been a, a lot on because a lot of the other products i've had in the past and that teams have you know it's had the dairy in them so i've just stayed away and just sort of got my nutrients from the food itself yep. but you know, you guys have been educating me today on the benefits of the protein powders and these types of things, and I'm really keen to, you know, to get into that and see the benefits from that. Yeah. Well, n- cool. not long ago in the Premier League, you know, players were still eating sausage rolls and pies. Um, it, still, it still happens to this day, I'm telling you. Some of the guys. Well, yeah. You well, see it in the NRL as well. Yeah. This guy's getting a pie two, an hour and a half before a game, yeah. you think? Well, people it's used to have, you know, a half-time cigarette, but yeah. not, not too long ago at all, yeah. you know. That was the secret to your powerlifting success, well, wasn't it? I don't know. <laughs> Actually, there's a study about nicotine and your strength, but <laughs> I haven't, haven't gone down that route yet. <laughs> Nic- nicotine's apparently, there's a lot of um, ex-fighters apparently putting nicotine patches because apparently nicotine's got some good effects for um, like CTE. Oh, wow. Brain trauma and stuff, okay. so... I'm not recommending it to anyone, yeah. but I've, I've heard some stuff about no, it. It's pretty we'll cool. Look into it. Well, actually, um, you know, there's uh, the story about how Arsene Wenger came into the Premier League with Arsenal and really transformed the attitude towards nutrition. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but, you know, Arsene Wenger was very rigid, regimented in what he did for his team and um, implementing these nutrition practices. Everybody had, you know, diets that they've never seen before. You know, no more, no more sausage rolls, no more pies. Um, vitamins, um, every single player had a strict vitamin regime. Um, even to the extent of getting B12 injections, um, you know, and Arsenal was obviously performing so well when Arsene Wenger came into the scene and, you know, with the Invincibles and things like that. 
they actually got accused of, of steroid usage because you know yeah. because of the injectable B12s and vitamins that people haven't seen before. So, so right. yeah, um, you know, obviously they were really on top of the nutrition and things like that now and you know evolved to where we get to today in the Premier League where I'm sure every single club is you know um, right on top of the game when it comes to nutrition I know like Manchester United has um, vitamin D3 chambers and things like that because obviously you're not getting as much sunlight in the mm -hmm. winter yep um, you know darker skin you don't absorb much so mm -hmm. different players would go into the vitamin D chambers and things and it's really um, getting advanced now do you guys have a sports nutritionist or a diet sports dietitian? Yep. 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 We've got one employee within the club that yeah. helps out with all that type of stuff. Most clubs do now. Mm. Yeah. Everyone that we, all the clubs we deal with, they do. And you're also telling us about some of the other um, things that you do for your recovery, like um, you know the sauna and and things like that. We are big big fans of sauna and ice baths here. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. As well. We're in the yeah. sauna heaps. Not and together, but yeah. <laughs> well, there was that well, one occasion. One <laughs> yeah. I remember that one time actually. Yeah. We hung that. in there for a bit too long. Deering got a bit dizzy. Yeah. yeah. I was I all right. out. yeah. <laughs> we were I was in there for ages. You'd be worried in the direction of that where that yeah, story yeah. was going. <laughs> well, so there was, was a reason. There was only one time. I didn't know. Didn't know what happened, you know, for what that reason may we, have been. Right? Deeran's too traumatized to talk <laughs> about it. So. But, um, but yeah. How yeah. often are you getting in the sauna? Yeah, generally once or twice a week. I'm yep. normally in it. Um, How long do you stay in it for when you're in there? 10 minutes or so. Yeah. We're actually just having um, renovations or a, a, like a added on to our building structure at our training ground. We're getting, I think we're getting a hyperbaric chamber put in there. We're getting... Um, uh, more rooms than that to have some beds that we can lie down on and sleep. Uh, I think we're getting some other type of recovery pool and all these put in with special water and all this type of stuff. Shit's getting real there. Yeah. Exactly. Like, but <laughs> as you talked on, that's the way everyone's going, you know. Yeah. Everyone's becoming more aware of, um, you know, the advancements in certain technologies and everything, you know, mm. to help everyone perform. You know, the margin for, you know, for being successful is... It's so thin, so everyone is doing whatever they can to, to try achieve that. And recovery is everything for an yeah. athlete. The quicker yeah. you can recover, and the more efficiently you can recover, the better you're going to perform the next day. It's like it's it's only just it's crazy that it's only just recent years that people are really starting to focus on their recovery through sauna, ice baths, massage, and hyperbaric mm -hmm. chambers and stuff like that. So yeah. And you said um, you know hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, but you know you also got to work smart and you know. Um, you're, you're very knowledgeable about what you're, you're talking about, we can tell. And, you know, going into the sauna, eating these, um, this, you know, whole grain diet and things like that, obviously it's having a tremendous effect on you. Man. Oh, I appreciate the kind words, man. <laughs> you're very complimentary. Too man. many compliments. But, uh, that's it. That's it. But no, I appreciate it. But, but that's an important point that you make, like, like quality over quantity. Because, yeah, you can, you know, be doing certain things, but if you're not doing, like, quality types of, you know, these examples, then... Yeah. You know, it's just going to be just as non-helpful or detrimental, you know, than obviously being good for you. So, yeah, you know, you it's know. one thing to say work hard and, you know, it's another thing to go out and push yourself to the limit yeah, every exactly. single day. That's if, not the smartest way. If to you're saying it. work hard and someone's going in the gym and doing 2000 push-ups before doing a field session. Yeah, that's probably a, a perfect example because you're going to smash yourself there. You're going to be so sore you can't move. You're exactly. not going to be able to work on your technical you know, you're not in my position. You're not a you're not a weightlifter or a bodybuilder. You're not trying to build muscle or anything. You need to obviously, um, you know, do the yeah. perfect amount. To, it's you secondary know. to your main goal, exactly. which is you know, exactly. keeping clean sheets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's uh, that's my goal. So yeah. yeah, it's not like you walk off the field and training's over anymore. There's there's the recovery, everything you have to do for recovery, and 
Are you um, so you doing ice bath after every session, or is that just a couple of times a week? As, um, as well? yeah, ice bath for so for me at the training ground we have a um, cryo chamber as well. So yeah. it's either one or the other for me. What's your preference? Um, What's easier? Because you get you got people on both sides of it. I hear yeah. people that love cryo. For me, I love like ice bath is is way harder for me. Harder, it's the yeah. biggest challenge, and we we did it yeah. at the last fitness expo. It was basically. There was no water in this thing. It was just purely ice. (laughs) Duran went full zen. I don't know where he went. I was looking at him. I was like looking at the guy, get me out of here. Like (laughs) I was mentally breaking. He had to talk me down to like, stay in there, stay in there. I think we were in there for like three or four minutes in total, but it was a battle. After about a minute, you settle in. Yeah. Would you go, do you go neck deep or... Neck yeah, deep neck and then deep. finish by going completely See, under. it's all part of how you do it as well. Yeah. like if I'm in the ice bath, there have been some times where I've gone neck deep in it and that's that's just another kettle of fish. Can't breathe. Yeah. Other times you go in there, you just stand up in the one we have and it's up to your waist, you know, and then you can be there on your phone. So it's like yeah. a distraction. So that's yeah. quite easy. You're going in the cryo chamber, you don't have any of that stuff. That's like two minutes in there and it's minus whatever it is, 150 or whatever it is. So that can be more harder, but... I'm very much for one, like, don't really care what type of state or pain or whatever, temporary pain, short pain I could be in, mm. struggle or, or whatever. If it's going to benefit me, I'll, I'll give it a go. You That's know? that serial killer coming out in you again. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to be, un- be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Getting out of your comfort zone, you know. Exactly. It's, it's those types of adversities that help you grow. So being in a cryo, thing, uh, cryo chamber, then... You know, so be it. But I'd, I'd probably get more in the cryo chamber, to be honest, because I think there's more of these studies saying it's more beneficial these days, or as these scientists are saying. I don't, I haven't read too much into it, but the lady, the one that you went into, the lady was saying it can dehydrate you, so you really got to, yeah, yeah, you can really got to hydrate well okay. after you've been in a cryo chamber. But oh, is that right? they're yeah. super popular now; they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's obviously it's hard for a, a lot of everyday footballers to have access to a cryo tank, but yeah. um, you know. You can always swing by the petrol station, pick up a couple of bags of ice on the way home. And, yeah, you know, you, if you've got a bathtub or yeah. whatever at home, you know. But, um, you know, there's also, ice is also a controversial issue, um, you know, when it comes to training because um, they say it actually blunts the training response. So you're not getting the same adaptation to it. So uh, Yeah, you're meant to do it away from your training time. Yeah. Like at least a few hours after. Yeah, that's the, sort of the latest science is... Yeah, yeah so. because you you actually want your body to go through that adaptive you process. You want the stress and yeah. you want to adapt to the stress yeah. rather than blunting the stress. But, you know, it's that balance between recovering yeah. for the next session or, um, you know, um, trying to get as much growth and um, yeah. benefits from your training as yeah, possible. It's probably a fine line about it all. You know, you, you don't want to... At the same time, there was a period when I was in Valencia and I had all those stresses I wasn't playing where I really experimented with my diet. I was doing, like, keto stuff and all this, you know, and being really regimented and all this type of stuff, seeing if I got a benefit from it and all that. And that actually brought on some other stress issues I had in like during that period as well. And sort of since then, I've sort of, I don't know, toned that back a little bit and just been, you know, happy with what I've been doing and all that. I think you've got to find a, a comfort zone in, in a certain aspect to it all, that what you're doing is benefiting you and you can't, I guess, read into it too much, and if you're gonna just fry your brain reading yeah. into too many studies to do this, do that, do that. Oh, it's, a, it's and we still know nothing about yeah. nutrition recovery, really, in the scheme of things. Yeah. And and everyone thinks their method's the best, but we we're big proponents of you try everything, yep. find what works best for you, and that's what works. Yeah. Self like self ex- experimentation, yeah. you know, um, you got to find out what works, what's best uh, for you. I agree. Hey, I want to um, I want to quickly touch on recent bushfires at the beginning of the year in Australia. You had a pretty cool um, initiative to raise some funds. 
um, for the Australian wildlife. Mm-hmm. Do you just want to um, talk a bit, a little bit about that? Because I, I thought that was really awesome. Was yeah, um, basically, yeah, being over there, seeing everything that was going on, and uh, not the bushfires just gone, but the ones previously, about five years ago, my uncle actually lost his house, so it was obviously a little yeah. bit of an extra feel to it, and, and all those types of things. But yeah, just I guess me also being influenced by you know other people that I'd seen out there, you know, going out of their way to. Um, you know, donate and help those in need. And um, I just thought, oh, you know, come up, you know, the Socceroos and the Players Federation uh, had come up that we, because we had decided to create a little fund in order to donate some of our salaries towards. And it just so happened to be that we had opened it just before the bushfire uh, catastrophe was, was going on. So as a, as a playing group, we decided to donate. And then I thought on top of that, I'll go out and, you know, do my own little initiative and, um, there was a couple of like Optus and uh, I think BN and someone else was like doing a thousand dollars for every goal scored and I'm like oh you know there's no incentive for us goalkeepers out there yeah. you know so let me what what can we do to help us goalkeepers so I think the same weekend I think Optus Sport was doing a thousand dollars a goal and then I decided to do uh, five hundred dollars for for every uh, save registered by a Premier League goalkeeper so it was a little bit of a win-win you know if it was a goal scored or a save you know it was. You know, a nice little combination to hopefully help um, you know some of the people affected back home. Awesome, awesome initiative. Did you did all the other were all the other goalies aware of it? Well, like, were you in uh, contact via social or anything like that? No, really? I didn't have any contact with them. Obviously, no. it was there. I'm not sure if they read it. I mean, after the game, one or two of their players come up to me and said, you know, congrats on what you're doing. So I imagine some of them must have seen it and and whatnot. But. Uh, I think I had five saves in that game, so it was a nice little. I think oh, I like to think I pulled my part a little bit, you know. Definitely. So, uh, you end up raising was, like it was about thirty grand Australian yeah, or twenty eight uh, or something. Twenty eight thousand, I think oh, it was. In it's huge. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was. It was nice, you know, and yeah, like I said, hopefully it goes to to those in need. Mate, that's why you recognise as one of the good guys in the game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, did we have any fan questions for Matty Hal? I know. Um, we had several. You're right to answer some questions yeah, for some course. fans. Of course. First of all, um, from Jack Fitzgerald, could you shed any light on the origins between the uh, the Brighton Crystal Palace rivalry? <laughs> so obviously it's a very significant rivalry, but very few people are aware of how it actually started. Yep. You can shed some light on that. Yeah. Well, the, the big factor is uh, the proximity. Even though it's still about, I think. 70 kilometers away from where we are um they're the closest premier league team to us but it really stems the hatred really stems from a, a couple of games uh, in the past i think it was cup games where there was some controversy involved within the match and um and yeah the fans obviously the wing fans obviously giving crap to the other fans and, and whatnot and that's where it really stemmed from and uh yeah, you, you definitely know there's a, there's a hatred there when the you know the game's coming up during the week. So all crowd crowd related by the sounds of it. Yeah, well, well fan we've related. All, we've always said like the derby games are the ones for the fans. You yeah, know? It, it's another football match for us players. Obviously, we want to win every game just as much as one another. But it's really the fans when a derby's on that they obviously get that extra kick out of. Uh, Do you guys play with a different level of intensity in those derby games? Like, are you, or is it just Business as usual. Um, I think it's business as usual because yeah. s- sometimes, like, you don't know what, the way a game pans out. You know, like mm. some games just they start a bit flatter, a bit slower for some reason. Who knows what? Then you could play the same two teams 
a week later and then all of a sudden it starts a fiery like for the reasons for it you don't know you know there's so many factors but um we go out and just try our best and, and play and you know have faith and belief in what we've done in order to prepare and what we deliver on on the game day is going to be enough to to get the result for us so, so when when football restarts now and you know the chance that there could be no fans it will be a completely different is, is it going to restart have you heard anything about it yeah, I'm, I'm in as much as I'm in the same boat as you guys. You know, I'm not too sure. It's obviously such an unknown yeah. situation, so much uncertainty around. It's a lot the same for us. I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, coverage of the links, the government, and you know the Premier League bodies and everyone are going to to try and restart it. There's a lot of speculation out there that that's what's going to happen, but. Um, I'm just choosing to sit and wait till we get cold hard facts from the governing bodies themselves on the decisions because you can do your head in trying to think, oh, is that going to happen? Because he said that. And you just know, get on YouTube. They got all the answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got, Hal? Any other questions? The follow up to that question was, what are your thoughts on the chant? Matty Ryan, soccer room, he hates the <laughs> What is that about? They just came up with it, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure where it initiated the He Hates Palace line came into it, but, um, you know, special connection with the fans. So, you know, whoever they hate, I hate also, you know. Oh, so yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's nice when you hear also it every to now have and a then. song after you. Yeah, yeah. So, so are they actually chanting that at a game? Yeah, How, the are games. you cracking up? Like, can you hear, are you hearing this? Yeah, not for sure. Sometimes I... You know, I acknowledge it or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> quite often, after like you've made a save or had a nice moment in the game or something, they'll they'll get it out. And at the beginning of each match, also, you know, when I'm going down to the goal with all the fans there and all that, they they give it a chance. So, did you before this happened? Did you actually play any games without the crowd there? No, I've, I've besides a, like a friendly game behind closed doors and all that. Yeah, I have, but never to the extent that it's an actual proper official match and, and everything. So be interesting when you go back. Yeah. It's um, it's going to be weird. I think because we'll, the crowd, like, it's going to be weird. It's such to a watch significant part of the yeah. game. Even just watching on TV, like hearing that crowd gets yeah. you all ramped up as well. Sure, so crowd, be the uh, same with you, like yeah. atmospheres, all yeah, that. You know, we'll have everything. a greater appreciation for them. I think. Yeah. If, if that does eventuate, so so yeah. I think they'll have a greater appreciation for athletes too. A lot of people missing sports mm. and actually realizing, oh, these guys are awesome. <laughs> um, any more questions? A couple more. One is from Milo Ryan, and he asks, "Who do you think is the most annoying player to defend corners against?" Oh, here we go. We're gonna dump some player in the shit now. There's a lot of guys that obviously have very good delivery. Um, one of, I'll tell you, like Christian Eriksen from Tottenham. He's got quite good. Delivery. The, the hardest thing for, for me as a goalkeeper or a defending team is someone that's able to whip the ball in that doesn't get so much height on it but is able to whip it in so flat when it arrives to the box. Super quick. That, Speed's yeah, still it, there. That, that flight doesn't allow me to come out as the goalkeeper to to catch it, you know? Yep. And coming in flat like that, I could got a split second to make a decision to think if I can get there or not. And if I can't, someone ducks in front of you and score a goal and yeah. all of a sudden everyone's thinking oh, what the f- is the goalkeeper doing here you know and you know all these types of things so yeah it's, it's, it's not easy and uh, yeah, he, he's one that's very tricky you know coming up against him but there's a number a number of them in the league so. mm. what last else one? last one Angus Doe don't shoot the messenger on this one he says do you ever regret being a keeper and what <laughs> position would you like to play the most <laughs> Um, nah, don't don't regret it one bit. Nah, why Love would it. you? Yeah, saving a goal must 
basically as satisfying as scoring a goal, I would, yeah. I would imagine. No, Have you ever, what, do you remember the last goal you ever scored as a kid? Were you a kid? Uh, well, when I was in the Mariners, I took a penalty in a penalty shootout, actually. I scored did you? it. I did. But um, the following year, I took a penalty in the game. How did the game. that come about? Was it just a token? Were you guys. I was confident that I could get up and, and take it, and yeah, I did, and put it away. But what, So, why'd they, give, why'd they throw the ball to you? No, well, f- no further video, no well, previous not, it's not video. S- super uncommon for yeah. a goalie to. Uh, I know, but there's know. no like previous previous footage or anything for them to read any um, nah. tells or anything like that. It's yeah. just a confident. At the end of the day, you just need personnel that's confident in that moment to yeah. do what's needed to help your team win. So, so you put one away from the Mariners. Yeah, that, that was a penalty shootout though in a semi final, yeah. but then unfortunately the following year we were going on a run where two of our players had missed penalties. And I had said to the coach, Graham Arnold, I was like, you know, I'll take the next one. You know, I don't mind, I'll step up. And it was um, the game against Western Sydney Wanderers in their first season, and we were playing them at home. And we were two points above them on the table at that point, and we got a penalty. I ran up and took it, it was pissing down rain. And I had made already the decision in my head early that I was gonna just smash it up the middle, thinking the goalkeeper was gonna dive. Dive, yeah. And so I did that, it went about knee height, and he, Artej Kovic was the keeper, and he half committed, and the ball hit his legs and all that, and the ball just stuck there, stayed still. It didn't like slip through his legs, nothing like that, off the turf, because it was wet, nothing, it hit there, so just I missed. I ran up the other end, and then 10 minutes later, they went up and scored. We lost the game 1-0, oh. and they jumped above us, and oh. then they ended up winning the minor premiership, and we didn't get above them. Oh, so that was the pinnacle of your career, that game? And <laughs> that's, that's one that hurts a, hurts a bit, yeah. but we did win the grand final that year, so we, we had the last laugh at the end, but it would have been nice to get the minor premiership in the grand final, but yeah. One, one last question from my son. He wanted to ask, it's, um, it's not very common for a goalie to get a red card. Have you ever been red carded? Touch wood to this point, I haven't. No. No. So uh, I'd never given away a penalty until this year, actually. I gave one away, I think, which was a little bit unfair, but, you know, the referee made his decision and, and gave it away. So, uh, so yeah. Did but you want to give the ref's uh, Instagram handle a shout-out <laughs> yeah. or message him? No. Um, <laughs> once I got a red card, like, somebody chipped the goalie, and I, and I was the last defender. I ran in and I hit it away with my Did you? <laughs> I thought nobody saw. <laughs> Turns out everybody saw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that commitment, you know. <laughs> Luis Suarez did something similar one time, huh? and yeah. then the, the, the goalkeeper saved the following penalty, and, and they ended up progressing. It was in the World Cup, yeah, wasn't against it? Against Ghana. Ghana, yeah. wasn't it? I remember that. So, stuff. Uh, you had the right idea, you know. Yeah. But <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not, you know, if you're willing to make the sacrifice. So. Yeah. Um, we usually look at a few sort of current sporting events. There's not a lot going on as far as sport at the moment, but um, there is a few sort of news topics. Yeah. What have we got, Hal? Uh, first three are about football. First one talks about uh, Premier League footballer hosting a FIFA tournament, which actually started a few days ago on the 21st of April. Yeah, so it's it's fans versus players, and they're actually showing the semi-final and the final on Sky Sport. Oh, is that right? In the UK. You much of a gamer? I was, but the last few years, no. I've, I've, I, I used to, being a sore loser, I got too angry all the time, you know? <laughs> You're about to be a gamer. We got a bit of a... Uh, we should, probably shouldn't talk about this, oh, but yeah. we've got a bit of a, a gaming um, challenge coming up. Do we? With Masashi athletes versus each other. Oh, but it's not right? in FIFA. What's it in? I think we're going to use the UFC game. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So good luck versus so Rob Whittaker. Yeah, I was going to say, does he have a, I don't an think advantage? He, I don't think he uses himself so in the game. Ah, but, um, okay. 
brush it, maybe brush up on your um, on your gaming game skills. skills. Oh, oh. FIFA's my game, but no, I think it's pretty it's pretty cool. At least they're doing some virtual stuff and gaming. <laughs> esports has taken off since all this has happened. Yeah, the V8 supercars and all this yeah. type of stuff, you know. And, uh, virtual racing. Yeah, virtual racing as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, for the V8 supercars, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I like I like my motorsport as well, you know. Oh, so yeah, it's, been, yeah, yeah. it's been cool seeing that. A bit funny, different element, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. What else you got, Hal? Next up, uh, forgive my pronunciation, but the Borussia... Mönchengladbach. Yeah, that one. Fans filling the stadiums with cutouts themselves. Yeah, so here's oh, yeah? this. So all the fans are buying their own individualized cutouts, Cut out. filling the stadium oh, yeah? with it, because, you know, when the, the league restarts and they think the German league might be one of the first to, to restart, to restart so, yeah. they'll, they'll have somebody in the crowd. Yeah, no, it's a nice initiative, you know, from the, the fans. You're trying to keep everyone happy and engaged and all that and who knows maybe you can uh, add a little advantage to to the home team they so. might have to play some like canned um crowd yeah. cheering or <laughs> something <laughs> some <laughs> applause that's <laughs> it what else how um more relevant to you maybe um brighton stadium joins a list of other clubs that have uh, engaged in coronavirus testing so the brighton stadium is now a coronavirus testing center what do they do to test? Is it temperature testing or you don't know? I don't know. It, it all happened once I was already uh, across here. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I've seen out in Bondi, I think there's a, a tent there that's set up for testing. So, uh, oh, is it? It's yeah, pretty cool. You can drive through and uh, yeah, get, a, get a test done or something. But uh, I think if you get tested, because the result takes two weeks or something to come through, I think you've got to self-isolate at home if you have the test done. Right. But... Um, but yeah, I knew our club has been, um, you know, contributing quite a bit to the the, the national health service um, back there in England, and yeah, you know, opening up the stadium for yeah, uh, testing area and all that. So it's gonna be um, it's gonna be different when all the sports kick off and they do want int- to slowly introduce fans back. It's like, what are you what are you guys gonna do to make sure players and everyone everyone that's in the stadium is safe yeah uncharted territory it sure. is yeah. yeah i mean who knows what's going to do with borders and all that rea- like one country gets better if as soon as you open the borders again people can travel like who knows it's know. gonna be a lot of people hesitant to travel i'd say mm. yeah what else you got hal two more entertaining headlines first of all lebron has revealed the new space jam 2 logo you yeah. guys fans of the original movie yeah, definitely am yeah, yeah space up. jam 2 i'm yeah. excited when was that made 1980-something? Space Jam? Where was uh, the original it was one? In the, in the nah, 90s. It was the 90s. Yeah. It was when Michael Jordan was... Jordan, yeah. So what, they're making another yeah. one? Yeah. Is that With LeBron. Yeah, they, they, re, they, they remade it. Like. <laughs> yeah, I think... Oh, they've were, already remade it. Oh, they're well it? into the process of making it. Yeah, yeah nice. Is that when it's coming yeah, out? Yeah. But he just revealed the logo uh, on Instagram this week. Oh. Ah. You know, the, the Time Squad logo is quite iconic of, of Space yeah. Jam, so it's, it's pretty cool. Something, something fun. Well, oh. while the NBA is not on, might as well film a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I knew Hal would ask that question, being cartoons. You're still watching cartoons at your age, aren't you? All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else? Last <laughs> one? Last one. Um, marijuana has become more accepted by professional leagues. Um, the NBA is an example where immediately after the coronavirus lockdown, they said they were going to uh, pause all their drug testing. Wow. Yeah. What's well, legal in the States? See, the usage of CBD in for athletes now is huge it's hugely prevalent obviously where it's legal um there's talk of potentially making it le- a legal prescription well, so medication here in australia you know a little bit more about this do you? yeah so low levels of cbd which is one of the um, active components of uh, marijuana is is not banned by by the world anti-doping agency anymore but thc still is banned which is you know the actual chemical that makes you high so 
um, it's very hard to get you know pure um, CBD without any THC in it. So uh, really, what they're saying is it's banned outside of competition, but it's still banned within competition. Right. So um, you know, so many states and um, places in the world now it's legal. So you know, even like the likes of like Portugal, for example. Um, so um, even like South Africa, Canada, all these countries, it's recreationally legal. So. Um, Interesting to see. Interesting times, but... Yeah. It'll um, be only a matter of time, <clears throat> excuse me, here in Australia. Yeah, well, once well, upon usually a time, <laughs> caffeine was banned by uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency. So, you know, moving with the times, we'll, we'll keep an eye out, see what happens. We actually had a, um, an Australian a- athlete that tested positive to caffeine at uh, Commonwealth Games. He was a fencer. What? Yeah. Mm. He was jacked up on caffeine, obviously for mental alertness or whatever it was, and ended up getting done. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, um, there's a photo of Michael Phelps smoking and stuff before the last Olympics. And then, yeah. you know, obviously the Jamaicans are the fastest in the Olympics. I'm <laughs> 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 just stereotyping. CBD is obviously the next big thing in, in yeah. recovery for athletes, but it's, yeah. It's oh, is, that, is that the properties of it? It's good for recovery. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can either take it orally. You can, they've, they've got creams that you can rub on joints right. and things like that. I don't know. Is it legal in the UK yet? I don't it's know. very no, much no, a great area. No. So no, that's, okay. that's the thing. You know, moving from a, a banned substance to something that's good for you, yep. it's uh, very much... A, it's, it's not legal, but it's definitely present. Yeah, few, yeah, yeah. It's few whiffs walking around the place, <laughs> smelling that summer, you know. Especially yeah. down on Brighton Beach. You walk down there in the summer and there's a few down there that you just... Pretty, smell that have been uh, pretty socially accepted these there, days. So, yeah. yeah, now I've watched Top Boy. <laughs> Before we finish on our um, Miyamoto Masashi quote, have you got a famous athlete quote for us that we we have to guess who who said this? Is it a Matty Ryan quote? <laughs> ah. Do you have any quotes? I don't know. No, I don't think so. You, you, you challenge me. <laughs> no, no. I have to come yeah, up with yeah? Oh, I'll have a think. I'll let you know. Go, yeah, Hal. What do you got? It's a, it's a football player. Um, the quote is, it's not just about the money and the fame. It's about what you achieve on the pitch. I think this would be someone... You, you're very knowledgeable yeah. across any, everything. Any, any guesses? Can we have, you've got it one more time? Um, it's, not about, it's not just about the money and the fame. It's about what you achieve on the pitch. Mm, someone that got a bad deal, I think, in <laughs> contract negotiations. <laughs> I'm going to say Maradona, just because I watched the Maradona documentary the other day. If it was maybe a cocaine quote. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go on Aussie and I'm going to go Cahill. Um, Could be anyone. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Um, It's a big name. How's it a guess? Big name? Recently or... or Yeah, you've got to give some hints for Matty. Of all time, all time then. Um, of all time, I'll say Pele. Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho. Oh, of oh, course, okay. he just lost all his money. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, nah, was Ronaldinho. Clo- was I closest? Yeah, I said yeah we'll give it to you. You win that one. Probably one of my favourite players of all time, Ronaldinho. Yeah. <laughs> my favourite football quote of all time is from George Best. What was it? He's like, um, you know, if I had to choose between dribbling past five players at Anfield um, and scoring or shagging Miss World, it would be a tough choice. <laughs> Thankfully, I've done both. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. Have you heard that Peter Crouch one? No. Peter Crouch, he's had a question asked about him. He goes, um, if you weren't a footballer, what would you be? He says a virgin. <laughs> 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 
boxer. <laughs> be true for a lot of footballers, Aaron. There's yeah. a lot of gold coming out of footballers. Yeah. Um, Let's so finish on a Masashi quote. What do you got? Do you, are you familiar with Miyamoto Masashi? Is that the original? He, he, is, he is a, a Japanese... Samurai. samurai. He's the greatest samurai yeah. to have ever lived. In the, yeah. what, the 1600s? Yeah, in the 1600s. And basically, you know, it's the last time um, anything like this has ever been seen because, you know, guns were invented straight after. Yeah. And, you know, he dominated Japan and beat every other samurai and retired and became mm-hmm. a philosopher. So we end every single episode. And then he started a sports nutrition brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we try to carry the philosophy of Masashi <laughs> yep. today. So we end every episode with that quote. And we try to, you know, we try to apply some, some wisdom into today's um, day and age. So the quote is, in battle, if you make your, op- if you make your opponent fit, okay, let me stop here. In <laughs> battle, if you make your opponent flinch, you have already won. Make your opponent flinch. Yeah. They say that a lot in fighting. Yeah. You know, you see a lot of... Uh, you see the square-offs before a fight and there's a lot of guys that try and get them to flinch and they know if they can get them to flinch, there's already that, that mental edge. Yeah. Why, why I chose this quote is, you know, when it comes to, you know, taking a penalty... You make your opponent flinch. You're kind of already in there, and you, you know. learned that the hard way this morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, that was hell. It was hell. It was hell. Yeah, that was hell. Man. This morning, that's right. So yeah, you know, you reckon you made Wayne Rooney flinch that day you saved his penalty? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can't recall that day if I did anything. I don't think I did anything. I mean, I was probably thinking, oh, wow, that's Wayne Rooney. You know, he's uh, coming <laughs> up against. So, but um, nah. I, I suppose it talks to the mental aspect of the game that we spoke about earlier on in the podcast. It's yeah. it's just obtaining the little things that you can do to obtain that mental edge over your opponent. Yeah, can sometimes win it for you. Yeah, you know, just even you know planting the extra seed of doubt when you're one on one with a striker, yeah. making them flinch, making them think twice. Uh, yeah. I guess you know that. Yeah, no, I think you're not a big trash talker, but nah. do, do some goalies sort of get yeah. right into it and there, give there, give there it to are, there strikers? Are some out there, yeah, for sure, there are some out there that try to use what they got I guess I try rely on my qualities as a, as a keeper to I guess help me prevail in, in that aspect I think if I tried something like that I just think like it's not authentic ca- karma, for you yeah, karma would get the better of me and yeah. Yeah, much much like a penalty I take a penalty I score one and the next one I missed you know yeah. so but yeah. uh but nah, I don't know, just rely on my capabilities, I guess, as a keeper to hopefully prevail. So Yeah, nah, I'm sure you've made many many a striker flinch in your time, don't <laughs> worry. And that's why you are so well respected in the game, and I thank you so much for coming here to doing this today. Really appreciate it, and um, if the season kicks off again, big if, we don't know. Best of luck, hope you kill it, and yeah. hope you enjoy your time at Brighton, and stay safe. No worries, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks really enjoyed it myself. Appreciate yeah, it. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers, everyone. Next episode, we'll see you soon. Bye.